0: Welcome to the Talented Learning Show podcast series, episode twenty-six, with independent learning tech analyst John Lay. Today, I interview Troy Gorostiza, president and CEO of KnowledgeStream and co-founder of Course Container, about the challenges, solutions to remote online content. You can find more of our content at talentedlearning.com. Well, like always, I'm excited for today's interview, and like always, today's topic is important and relevant in the learning technology and extended enterprise sector. On this show, I'm fortunate to interview the world's leading experts in extended enterprise learning solutions from both the vendor and the practitioner perspectives. Today, from the practitioner, consultant, and now vendor expert standpoint, we have Troy Gorostiza to help illustrate the challenges and solutions to the remote content challenge. Well, welcome, Troy. Thanks for joining me today on the Talented Learning Show.
1: John, it's a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on today. Looking forward to talking with you. Excellent. Well,
0: we'll get into remote learning in just a bit. But let's first start off with you. You've been in the industry a long time. Uh, we met six years ago, and your consulting business was already raging. Uh, your LMS uh, consulting <laughs> business, and so we've been sharing notes and talking about vendors and best practices ever since. So it's great to finally have you here on the show. But tell us about your history in working with learning technology, just just to set the stage, please.
1: Okay, sounds good. Wow. I I guess time does fly. I I honestly can remember when we met and I didn't know if it'd been longer or shorter, but uh, either way, we've been in this business for quite (laughs) some time. Um, I guess if I can go back and do a little bit of a history lesson, like you said, to kind of set context of who I am and where I've come from. Uh, I've been working on delivering training content systems since the late 90s. So 1998, I started off in Silicon Valley. Uh, during the original dot .com era, if anyone can still remember that, seems like it was yesterday on one hand, and uh, <laughs> quite some time ago on the other. Actually, I was doing a lot of technical based training um, at the time—Microsoft, Oracle, if you remember, Novell, uh, Cisco—and um, what was really cool is I was kind of looking back at some notes and and thinking about this and and working on some new tra- technical based training on new technologies at the time, and it was actually Ethernet technologies and. DHTML, as we as we know now, is yeah. not really new technologies. That's uh, pretty old. Um, so I, so back in that era, I really was kind of focused on the content development side. I'd say for about the first two to three years uh, of my career, but then really started to get more and more involved in the complex projects. Luckily, I was able to do that across many different industries. Uh, I was in healthcare, and automotive, uh, to part to the Department of Defense. Did quite a bit of work in retail, consumer electronics, and more recently i have been in the oil and gas and construction and job site safety sector. And, and as the complexity of these requirements grew for these training solutions, I really found myself more interested, and to be honest with you, you know, frankly, better qualified for really figuring out how to deliver and make the training available, more like a learning ar- architect than, uh, than truly an instructional system designers in ISD, which is what my degree is in. Um, so that kind of evolving into the, the customer or outward facing or the for profit, or as we also known as the extended enterprise space, I've been focused solely really in that since 2001. And I've been work, lucky to work on projects in that space. Um, and just to give you a little bit of context, you know, everything from, uh, I worked on a comprehensive nursing, uh, certification program, taking a, a registered nurse. Even the baseline skill set to become an ICU was tied to 60 or 80 CEUs at the time. That was in the early 2000s too. You know, working with the small mom and pop type, small business, uh, worked with them to develop and be granted the first approved phlebotomy, which is a blood withdrawal online program in the state of California, um, creating a substantial new revenue stream for them. They were doing traditional instructor led training in in Southern California that enabled them to expand throughout the state. And then more recently in the last seven to eight years is is one of my uh, clients that I've worked with is being being involved in the development of an enterprise-wide job site safety and equipment certification training solution uh, that has its own P&L, multi-million dollar business for both the U.S. and Canada, um, offers training 24-7, over 1,300 locations, uh, includes some really unique unity-based content, e-learning online training content. Uh, and hands-on virtual reality equipment, some simulators. When people ask me what I do, it's it's really hard to kind of <laughs> to say what I do, or you, you always try to qualify who's asking. Do they really care? And I think the the longer, longer I do this, I've come up with try to keep it as simple as possible. I say I'm like a puzzle maker. I really help clients with the vision, put the right puzzle pieces together. It's real simple, isn't it?
0: that's funny i have the same challenge too people say what do you do and that's funny uh i i also take the measure of how much they care but i start off with an it consultant and i go from there down to a a learning technology industry analyst uh, depending on (laughs) depending on level (laughs) depending on level of interest or or knowledge on the thing Uh, But that's great you're in the right place here uh you know talking about extended enterprise is is all we do uh here at talented learning on on the blog on the podcasted on our webinars and that's of course providing or selling content to learners who are not your employees but rather your customers or your prospective customers members mm-hmm. partners channel distribution partners but anybody that's important to you that just happens to be not your employees well organizations who are involved in extended enterprise though you know as you know all, all have this challenge uh with content if, if you're selling content you sell to organizations that may want to your content, but they don't necessarily want to send their learners to your LMS because they already have an LMS. And they might be getting content from 20 different sources. And so in the industry, there seems to be a challenge of if you send somebody your content, then you lose track of it. And, and if you want to share your content, it's hard to do that. And every organization seems to, to struggle with that uh, to some degree or another. Can you frame out the business problem here? Uh,
1: essentially you've hit kind of the nail on the head in regards to making content available to users outside your ecosystem today. Um, there's so many viable LMS, uh, AMS systems, learning platforms, LEPs, LXPs, digital learning platforms, whatever you want to call it nowadays that are available that even the smallest of companies now have a platform. I mean, it's, it's, it makes sense from a cost perspective, um, and I see that very, very much in kind of newer areas that have always been in the sales spreadsheet area, kind of the job site safety and construction space. Um, but as we know in today's economy, utilizing partners, resellers, contractors, you know, is a must. And with that comes the need for training, building partner programs, uh, What else, leveraging training assets to create new revenue streams. And all of this also at the end of the day, it really builds brand recognition. So these these learning solutions nowadays where content really is, is, is key, uh, it's building brand, brand recognition, it's marketing solutions, it's learning solutions, it's training solutions. So, so getting to your question here, um, I think for for those of us who've been in the space for a long time, we've all heard that content is king, right? Um, so it was always build a solution, get your content in it, you've got your people, you've got it in your world. Uh, but in the last, I would say it's pretty recent in my experience, in the last two to three years, you know, this is really truer than ever that content is key. Um, the issue now is that, as I said earlier, everyone has their own system um, or they have become sophisticated enough that they want a central system of record in-house. HR and business leaders from small to large companies no longer want to have to go to multiple systems to get their training, to get their employee training records, mess with Excel reports, deal with it, single sign-on do uploads into their systems, all that type of stuff. They just simply want that experience kind of twofold for the experience to be simple and straightforward. And for themselves, you know, they want it turnkey. They need to go into that one system for administration and reporting Um, on the flip side of that for the extended enterprise content providers. You know, this is now posing a significant risk to their business model. And no longer do customers really want to come to their site. They're offering their world. Uh, to have their end users consume that training, as you've articulated already. Um, Training providers really have to look at alternative ways to deliver their content. They've invested so much money in that content. All this is is really a new delivery channel, a new sales channel, a new marketing effort that they kind of need to look at to basically still have that same content outside of the world uh, but make it available to their customers. Um, But the issues really are is that as that training provider you know, one of the things is you don't want to hand over your content, your intellectual property, as they say, you know, over the fence. And if you do this, as a lot of people have been doing, because there hasn't really been good ways to kind of of, of address the standards um, and still maintain access to your own content. But if you do pass that entire content over the packet, over the fence, you're basically, you risk losing reporting capabilities. You've got to rely upon those that you're giving the content to, to tell your usage that can obviously impact business and financials. Uh, if you have a revenue share, or cost court, or a cost per course agreement, um, as I said earlier, this could mean lost revenue. In addition to that, how do you track training data completions? You know, we live in a world of data, and data is is much more accessible than it ever has been. Um, and one of the things I wanted to touch on, one of the problems that we're seeing here, and we have, you know, we've got to look at solutions for this, is all of that's very important. But also, how do you update that content, the versioning mm-hmm. of it, you know, to ensure your customers and learners are always accessing the latest version, because as a product, as making that content available to the extended enterprise, whether you're doing it free for partners or resellers, or you're charging uh, for customers, that content has to stay updated. You have to make sure it's easy for them to consume that wherever they're consuming it. Um, and one last thought here is, you know, obviously security is a concern. So ensuring that your, your content is secure, one. Um, and two, with the onset of a lot more video and newer technologies for 3ds and animations and virtual reality, that high fidelity video-based content, we've got to ensure that that content is going to play well in your customer system. If you are kind of opening it up outside of your extended enterprise.
0: Yeah. And how can you, you know, how can you uh, test that? Cause what if you have a thousand or 10,000 different organizational customers and they have, you know, what if each of them has one of the 1000 LMSs <laughs> that are available in 2019 i mean there's no feasible way for any organization uh, to test that out and you can't just give your content out to everybody and you can't just hope that if somebody buy an organization buys a 10 user license that they're not going to roll it out to 100,000 people since you can't track it and so time and time again that that seems to pop up but it it seems like you know to a non-technical guy like me that you could just point to another an LMS. Why can't you do that? Why, why can't, if you have an LMS and that course has a URL that's playing, why can't customer aid just point to that URL and and just launch the course like that? Seems like that's how the web works.
1: Well, well, <laughs> well I wouldn't say that you're a, a non-techie. I mean, you definitely uh, have a technical background and I'm a techie. You know, in all honesty, I'm not a programmer or developer, but I'm in the space a long time. And so I'll get a little bit technical here, but not too much. But I agree. I mean, we, wish, we all wish it was as easy as putting in a URL and everything works correctly because that's what happens today in content management systems and WordPress and Drupal. You put in a link, all of a sudden your Vimeo video gets embedded code in there, and it works fine. Um, but however, with, with our world, we really need to track specific data for training and business purposes. Um, and most of this is going to come down to Scorm So as we all know, that Squirm has been around quite a long time. And the history of it, in a a very quick story here, is it really (laughs) came as a newer standard to AICC. And AICC was originated basically out of the aviation industry, and Boeing was one of the big people behind it because they needed a a way with all the training materials to really track those and track, you know, that people were taking those as they're building the plane. So that's where SCORM came as a result of that from, from the ADL to address some of the shortcomings at the time. Uh, well, as we know, with any standard, it will address known previous issues or current issues, but it can't always be adapted as addressing, you know, what's going to come down the road. Any future business or technical requirements don't know what the technology may be. So with that being said, you know, SCORM's not really made it easy to to deal with. It. One of the biggest crux here is this cross-domain issue. So you have your learning management system or AMS system on one on one server, and you've got your content coming from another server. Um, So that's one of the main issues of not just being able to kind of point with a a URL as well as problems with legacy web browsers. So with older versions of an Internet Explorer to where we're at today, where it's pretty much just Chrome, Safari, and Firefox, um, the standard is the standard and you must communicate a certain way from that learning management system to that piece of content. So here's a a context. So let's say you're on your corporate LMS and you want to take you know, talented learning has an LMS consulting one one course uh, that's on Talented Learning's Learning Management System. You can't just point your LMS um, to the one one piece of content on John's server on Talented Learn server, on Talented Learning Server for the SCORM standard. It's not able to be viewed on your site. So that piece of content or that training would specifically need to be authored in a way that allows, and here's a little bit of technical piece, so the manifest of the index files of that course package to be put onto the customer, that third-party's learning management system, and then remotely pull up the content from another server. So this is really what's called the relay or dispatch package in our world. And as a content provider, I mean, you can do this today with industry tools and and if you have good SCORM programmers, but this really only solves, you know, one of the the multi-problems that we have here is it solves getting the content to play in another learning management system. Not the licensing, the reporting, the version, you know, ensuring that that content's going to play well. Those are all still issues that we have today and that organizations need to look at when they're looking down the road at how do they make their content available, as we say, the remote learning or the remote in the remote content world.
0: Hmm, interesting. I don't think I, I caught that nuance before. So you can right now you can give another LMS that that score and package, but it doesn't have any content in it. And that SCORM package will point. Back. So it it achieves kind of the point thing, but you'll have to upload that SCORM package. The customer would have to upload that into their LMS, and that still doesn't solve anything with versioning or or any of that and the licensing, as as you mentioned. So you'd have to do that course by course and update by update to make it work today.
1: You you would, and then you also now are kind of becoming a a hosting provider because that content (laughs) is resident on your server now. And in many LMS systems and is the content server is not really optimized to do that uh, from a technical standpoint, as well as a scale standpoint, as well as now, you know, depending on if you own your own LMS or if you're licensing it, you'd have to open up quite a bit of things to allow that content to go outside of its ecosystem. So if you've got a lot of technical resources, you know, these things can be achieved, but you know, let's be honest in, in this world, it's a lot of our customers, a lot of the folks in the extended enterprise space are, are, licensing has solutions doing some customizations but very few of them own their own systems
0: but how about xapi it, it seems like that's supposed to track anything from every, everywhere uh, isn't that a solution for the for uh, remote content
1: it's really the newest standard and and it has much more uh, to do with actually you know, the way in which content the data that you can get out of that from statements can be sent over to a system so in regards to xapi it's a little From a technical standpoint, you need to have a learning record store, which is either resident within your own LMS or integrated within your learning solution somehow so that that content can communicate to it. So if you want to send metrics from one learning record store, so the content's communicating everything that you want to actually send in statements to a learning record store, you then need for that learning record store in your own LMS or your own ecosystem to then do LRS forwarding. And you have to authenticate between each LRS. So there's a lot of security between the systems. So it's very, very secure. But if you have your content in your own system within LRS, and let's say you have 10 customers that have their own systems that you want them to then make available to their customers, each of them have to have their own LRS. And the two systems have to communicate with one another. So as I said earlier, it's very secure but it's not really easy or scalable for a company to do with all their customers and variable systems. No, it actually is more complicated uh, than SCORM from this specific perspective for making that remote content available. Uh
0: Is there a difference between remote learning and remote content, those two terms, or is that they're the same thing?
1: Not in my world. I mean, if you ask analysts like yourself and, and maybe some of the other in our industry, there's probably a new one that comes out today. Um, I really like these terms. I mean, the meanings actually pretty simple and straightforward. Um, so I kind of I lump the two together, and in my definition, uh, these terms really mean any content that you want available in your system. So content in system A is actually originating in system B. That would be remote content or remote learning. Yeah. Um, so another thing, so any content provider today who passed their, you know, AICC or SCORM package that's being you know served up uh, remotely. In a different system, and then it ends up being stored in another access uh, in system B. Re- really fall into the de- into this definition.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I may be uh, a bit uh, clairvoyant, but my my guess is that uh, course container, the the organization that you co-founded, solves this problem in some sort. Can you tell us about how you got started and and how you go about that?
1: <laughs> uh, sure. So I think it was it's probably sometime in 2016. Um, so as a learning and LMS consultant, been involved in the space since the late, 90, late 90s, late you know I typically get to discuss the state of the industry, new cool tech, client problems, uh, et cetera with the vendors, a fellow analysts like yourself, as well as with my clients. you know i'm, I'm a puzzle maker, I got to put the pieces together, so I really have a have to have a good understanding of what the state of the industry is. Um, I'd met my current course container business partner. I think about a year or so earlier at a conference um, where I was intrigued with this LMS platform. It was, it was really focused on kind of business in a box. It was for uh, folks that had online content, um, and it was a it's a complete CMS content management system, learning management system, you know, enabling a one person company or a Fortune 50 to stand up and monetize the training site very easily. So like through the course of about a year or so with regular dialogue and various topics, we kept coming across this consistent theme. And that theme is that the problem with sharing content from one system to the next. So as my business partner, he's a learning architect on the technical side, actually developing the code. And I'm more on the business side. We put our ideas down a paper, formed the company and went live in 2018. Um, And when we let live, our goal was really to be laser focused on this problem and build a solution that would work for the individual content creator as well as for organizations that has thousands of pieces of content and what's an easy way to provide essentially a secure central platform to deploy version and license their online content. So we really wanted, we're a niche, we're a utility in the industry and didn't really want to kind of have feature bloat or try to do everything.
0: Mm-hmm. And so what does course container do then? Like what, what, what's the idea behind it from a functionality standpoint?
1: So what Course Container really does is it enables you to upload your content into a SaaS or a a custom white-branded solution. So you'd upload your content, one or multiple pieces of content, and then you actually create a deployment. And at the deployment level is where you specify licensing parameters. So do you want this one or multiple pieces of content available to one user, 1,000 users? Do you want it available to those same number of users? And it can be launched 10,000 times. Or what if I want, you know, 100 users can launch the piece of content 1,000 times through the end of the year. So any or all of those licensing parameters can be set up at the what we call as the deployment level. Um, so also at that level, you dictate who is this content going to be available for for reporting purposes. So you put company A or company B or company C. Or you don't have to. Then at the end of the day, what happens is the content all gets uploaded into the system. You can either do it through the front uh, user interface or the backend through a secure FTP protocol, which which we've uh, developed a unique way to do for large organizations that have hundreds or thousands of pieces of content. You get the content up, put it into deployment. At the end of the day, the deployment's created, and then it has was well, the small relay slash dispatch packages. Uh, that are sent to the customer. And then that customer would put it in their own LMS. So let's say you have your English 101 course. We'll go back to that. And you upload it into course container. You create a deployment. And then you pass that off to 100 different customers that have their own learning management system with their own thousands of users. By one piece of content going to all of these different locations, you're able to track the usage of that content across the entire ecosystem, who's launching it, which domain they're launching it from, when they launched it, getting, st- getting standard SCORM data so that you have the data that you need to run your business.
0: Wow, cool. Wow, that's neat. What if it is 100,000 pieces of content, mm-hmm. like you say? They got to they gotta do that 100,000 times? or?
1: So, and I think the question kind of is re- in regards to content and versioning and updates. So what's a unique feature that we put into our system is, so with that one course, let's say there's a version or a content update, you as the as the content provider, the owner of that course, all you need to do is update that version in your system, and if it's been pushed out to your hundred customer with thousands of users, it's going to automatically propagate out to all those different learning management systems, so that anytime a new course registration happens, those respective users are going to get that piece of content. Mm-hmm. So. So it, it makes the content update in versioning very, very simple. Now, let's say there's a huge regulatory update or some l- legal dictate um, that requires you as a content provider to wipe out that piece of content and absolutely replace it with the new one. You can do that as well um, through the versioning system. There's mm-hmm. nothing required from those end users. They don't have to upload new packages. They don't have to create new courses in their system. All of it happens seamlessly behind the scenes. And in the reporting area within course container, you'll see which version of courses that these people are taking and launching for your own metrics.
0: Oh, cool. Cool. How do you go about licensing this? Not from like a how much standpoint, but how do you Mm -hmm. how do people pay for this from a conceptual standpoint?
1: So it's it's pretty simple. So we basically have it's a SaaS solution. and so when you sign up, so we have a fully automated subscription model, so there's different packages you would pick from, and it's really based around, in our world, it's around course accesses per month. So if you're a user and you launch a piece of content one or ten times, that counts as one. Uh, if you launch five different pieces of content in a month, then that's five. So our business model is really based upon that, and then the cost of us, of the the enterprise it's an enterprise content delivery network sitting in Amazon Web Services. It's very, very robust. So we've got servers throughout the world. So the, the content being able to be played from one from Australia to North America to South America, it doesn't really matter. We're really addressing the latency issue. So our costs are tied to that. So what that enables our customers to do is they can have very flexible um, relationships with their customers on how they're making this content available, if it's the Rev share, if it's cost per user, if it's a total limit. You know, for us, that doesn't really matter. Um, we want to enable something that's flexible for them. And then the other piece to that is for some of the large organizations where we would build a custom API into their system. Um, we'll work with them on on a custom kind of cost per user, a cost per month tied in with professional services. Uh,
0: if we had to offer, a, you know, a piece of advice to extended enterprise professionals uh, mm-hmm. who are ready to solve this now, is is this – is there a business process? You know, maybe they're ready to solve it, but they don't have, you know, it's still 2019. They don't have budget yet, for example. Is there a business process or technical things that they should start doing right now to get their organization ready? Any
1: advice there on? It's kind of twofold to me. So the first part of that, you know, as a training provider, that's a little bit new in the space. That's looking for a solution, you know, for the extended enterprise. I'd really look at who your customer is. And how you can provide them with what they need, either coming into this world that you have or being more realistic that to take that training board, I mean, or being more realistic in the fact that you mean you may need to make that available in their system moving forward. Now This way, it's going to allow you to have multiple ways to offer your training, you know, and not lose those eyeballs or revenue streams. The second fold is for the folks that currently have a real robust extended enterprise offering. And they're already starting to see, and I can guarantee you that they have customers that want that content in their system. So <laughs> guaranteed, guaranteed. And, and that's really where Course Container came from. The barrier to entry to get Course Container up and running is minimal. The cost is minimal. The, the level of effort is minimal. The content secure, you own it. It's in your world. You're not passing it over the fence. I'd really start to look at solutions like this or some of the other. Uh, potential offerings that you may file out there or seen within your own world in your technical department. If you can start to try to develop something like this, as we, as we've expressed earlier, it's not easy to do, but you've got to make sure that you make that content available um, outside of your own system. Nowadays, the world's changing too rapidly to kind of make them come to your own ecosystem.
0: Well, there you have it. Great information, solutions, and advice. Uh, to help solve that pesky uh, remote learning, remote content problem, from uh, Troy Gorostiza, President and CEO of Knowledge Stream and co founder of Course Container. Troy, thanks so much for joining me today. It was great having you on the show, always great learning from you.
1: John, it's been a
0: pleasure. Thank you very much for the time today. Outstanding listeners, thank you for listening and your continued support. Hope to see you on the next installment of the Talented Learning podcast series. You can find more information about Course Container at coursecontainer.com. Nice and easy, and you can find more of our fiercely independent content at talentedlearning.com. Have a great day, everyone.
1: Thank you.